was worried he was getting a little dodgy in the middle part, but then that finale, <laughs> wow. Hello, and welcome to Two for One, the podcast where we discuss two movies based on the same source material. Today, we will be discussing the 2007 film Wreck and the 2008 film Quarantine. I'm Claire. And I'm David. So just to get started on Wreck, as Claire mentioned, this movie came out in 2007. It is set in Spain, in Barcelona, and is in Spanish. Muy buenas noches. Les habla Angela Vidal. Basically, we follow... A reporter, Angela, as she's doing a story on uh, what the fire department does while we sleep for a program called While You're Asleep, or whatever that is in Spanish. Uh, and it starts off uh, pretty boring. Uh, she's kind of frustrated that they're not going out on calls, that the firemen that she's working with are basically just hanging out all night. But Eventually we do get a call. We shadow the uh, firemen to an apartment building. And once we get there, we realize that not everything is right in this apartment building. So long story short, there uh, this is a horror movie. There is a zombie virus, a zombie infection going around the apartment building. And as they start to realize this, the government shuts them off from the rest of the world so they can't get out they're left to figure out what what to do around all these zombies they're running up and down the stairs and one by one they're dying so in the end uh it's just Angela and her cameraman and they sort of stumble upon the origins of the virus by accident but they're the last ones alive and by the end of the movie nobody has survived this that's, uh, that's Wreck. It's pretty short. It's an hour and a half. It moves very quickly. They remade it just a year later in uh, Hollywood, set in Los Angeles, as Quarantine, with pretty minor exceptions. I think it follows the same beats. Uh, not quite word-for-word dialogue like we had with uh, Death at a Funeral, but, I mean, partially, parts, yeah. partially that's the language. You know, they had to rewrite it anyway because of the language. But, uh, yeah, it does follow pretty closely. There are one-for-one character swaps. Hi, I'm Angela Vidal. Come with us There's tonight There's a few minor plot points that do change, but the rest of it is pretty similar. Yeah, basically watching the same movie twice, um, down to even the set design, which I'm sure we'll talk to. Mm-hmm. Just to go over some of the, the names and makers of these movies, the Spanish movie Wreck in 2007 was directed by Jaume Balaguerro and Paco Plaza. Uh, the main character, Angela, is played by Manuela Velasco. Her cameraman is played by Pablo Rosso, but voiced by Javier Coromina. And we never see him. Yeah, very different because in the U.S. version we do. So the U.S. version, Quarantine 2008, uh, directed by John Eric Dowdle. Angela Vidal is played by Jennifer Carpenter in this version, and her cameraman, Scott Percival, is played by Steve Harris. As David mentioned, at the end of the movie, they discover in the attic sort of where this this virus has originated. So we do get some good monster effects, so shout out to those actors. Tristana Medeiros in the movie Wreck is played by Javier Botet, and in Quarantine, the unnamed monster is played by Doug Jones. Well, the motion picture teleplay was uh, respectful and 
exhibited tastefulness and class. Who made you an expert all of a sudden? There's a whole cast in both of these apartment buildings. It's kind of a, a good excuse to have different archetypes of, uh, of people, you know, different kinds of first responders, different kinds of residents of the building. There are families, there are single people and couples and people who, who's this weirdo, you know? So you got like kind of a fun mix of people, but uh, we don't know any of their characters' names and to be quite honest, <laughs> they didn't last very long in this uh, yeah. in this zombie apocalypse it is, situation. It is a short movie and they're falling like dominoes, yeah. so... I thought all the characters were pretty memorable. Like, oh, yeah. once you meet somebody, even though there's a lot of characters, like once you meet somebody, you do remember them. And then when you see them a couple scenes later, you're like, oh yeah, we met her. She's she's upset about this. Or, right, you know. yeah. Um, and it's funny that you said the word archetypes because I literally wrote that down while we were watching Quarantine. Uh, they had a lot of the same characters in Quarantine, like one-to-one, the exact same. But they added a few more apartments, so it was a slightly, ever so slightly smaller cast of mm-hmm. of people in the apartment complex. I mean, in total, there's maybe eight to twelve apartments, maybe not even. Yeah, fewer than that, I think. Yeah, so we're dealing with a small amount of people in in the apartment and on the set. Yeah. Uh, but I wrote down archetypes because in quarantine, I was like, they're really they've got like. The drunk lawyer, like, I don't know, it felt very much like, you're just going to know who this person is because you've seen this before. And yeah. I felt that more than I did in the Spanish version, but I thought maybe that's a cultural thing. Like, yeah. maybe there are archetypes for Spain in the Spanish version. That I definitely, I felt that specifically with... For the drunk? Yeah. It was a uh, Dennis O'Hare? Yeah, but I've definitely seen him in stuff where he's played, like, similar characters. And it seems very, uh, I don't want to say, like, one-dimensional, like... Cause oh yeah, he, I think he I did. would. I think he did like a good job, but I think like the movie's just—it's like, oh, we introduce him. He's like already drunk and staggering, and that's just what he's gonna be for the rest of the movie. Can't do that. Why? Yeah. Come down. Why? What do you mean why? Because why not, can't I go gonna upstairs? Do this all night? We're gonna do this all night. You know, we're what? gonna do that because it's not safe up there. Let's oh, go. Oh yeah, but go. Oh, because it's, so, it's really you're, safe down here. You're drunk. All right, so it seems like a good time to get into our first real topic here, which is the character of Angela. The woman who is presenting this night news feature about the firemen. And we should mention that these movies are done as found footage. So literally everything you see is meant to be what her cameraman was recording that night. So it does start out basically as footage for this nighttime program, Mm -hmm. which is a cool way to get immersed into the movie in the first place. Mm -hmm. But in the Spanish version, you're, you're getting all of the outtakes and everything too. And so you really get her personality of like, oh, like cut, oh, my hair's not quite right. Like, oh, you know, I can try that again. Mm-hmm. There's an awkwardness to her of like someone's still in like the imposter syndrome phase of their job. Like she clearly wants to be good at this, but maybe realizes like she's the overnight program. Like this isn't what she wants to be doing exactly, but she still wants to do a good job at it. Yeah, and I think a little bit of frustration that, like, she knows nobody's going to watch this. Like, exactly. She's staying up all night to do this boring program that she can't make interesting, and there, even if it was the greatest documentary, you know, they're going to show two minutes of footage on tomorrow's evening news, and she'll have spent her entire night doing that, and nobody yeah. will care. Yeah, and so I feel like 
it made me not necessarily like her, but like I got her right away. And it really helped me feel her reactions throughout the movie. And as things become real, she's like, you just need to keep recording. People need to know what's happening in here. And it's less her trying to present for the camera and more her just being her. And you sort of get like a self-actualization of her like actually taking command of her role as a journalist to be like, we are here to show people what's what's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, ultimately, she's not going to get to. <laughs> but right. for the whole movie, I mean, even before anything goes down, she's saying like, "Oh, just like shoot everything, and we'll we'll figure it out later." But then, especially when shit starts going down in the apartment, she's like, "Oh, well, the people outside have to see what's going on." Like, and it's kind of implied like, even if we don't make it, you know, our footage can survive and if this were actually real found footage it would have you know (laughs) i guess that's the concept right uh but i would say that's slightly different from the american version i don't think we get the same sort of character growth from angela in the american version she mentions there's a line at the beginning where she says i'm off my game tonight which i think is like a vestige of the original script but not actually what they're trying to do with her character in the American version. Mm-hmm. It's not like she's trying to find her footing or anything. And there's a lot more time spent, especially in the beginning, before shit hits the fan, with her, like, flirting with the firefighters and everything, and just, like, yeah. establishing... I thought we got the call to go to the apartment building earlier in the American version, but they packed a lot into that first, like, 15 minutes. Because when we were watching the Spanish version... We're spending a lot of time, like, before we even get the call, getting to know Angela and, yeah, like what you're saying, all those little, tiny little things about her character. You do spend a lot of time with that. But then in the American version, it's very quick, but they pack a lot into that of her, like, yeah, flirting with the firefighters and, like, you get more of the relationship between her and the cameraman. Uh, Right, yeah. What's his name in the American version? Scott? I don't know. It's just like a little bit different in how they are spending their time. And I felt like the Spanish version wanted to develop characters more and the American version wanted to develop relationships. And I think that starts like in the very beginning because we don't learn very much about Angela's character in the same way. Like, you know, we don't get those little tidbits about, oh, I think she's like frustrated or I think she's, you know, like off her game or like all these little things that she says. She's just, like, in her element and, like, being flirty with, like, the firemen. And she's ready for any situation, you know. But you do get more of, like, her personal relationships with these people. That's a better take than I took from the American version. Because clearly we agree on the Spanish version. You know, she developed over the movie. In the American version, I didn't see it as her having relationships, but just more... I don't know, inattention to the actual story. I'll say, I thought that the flirtiness with the firefighter was just meant for it to be more of a shock value when that firefighter then drops down the stairwell and smacks the floor. (laughs) You know, in one of the early jump scares of the movie. But I thought that was effective, though, because, like, if if you're viewing everything through her eyes, then all of these other people are only viewed in terms of their relationship with her. 
So So it's more of an effective device and not a contrivance like I was uncharitably viewing it. Well it's all a contrivance. (laughs) I mean it's a movie, right? But like yeah, I think their idea is we're not gonna have enough time to make all twenty of these characters their own people that you're getting to know through the course of this movie because it's only an hour and a half and half of them die before the first hour mark, you know? Uh so yeah, I think like in that case having like that that back and forth relationship between her because one of the firemen is like very crude and like very uh openly uh like betting on having sex with her then. Yeah. I was gonna say like <laughs> flirtatious with her. Uh-huh. But it's like beyond that to the point of being offensive. But she's like a professional and she can like dish it back to him, mm-hmm. you know, without like breaking a sweat. So they sort of like develop this quick camaraderie almost even before they're called to the apartment building in like literally the first 15 minutes of the movie yeah and i think that works pretty well yeah you know you're making me think about it more and i do see how that relationship with the firefighters might have actually been effective in the american version and it's making me think too she does have more relationship with scott the cameraman yeah than angela did with pablo which wreck I don't know if you noticed, but, like, in the first, like, four seconds of the movie, you mentioned Angela in the Spanish version. Oh, I need to fix my hair. Or, like, shoot me from this side because my hair is mm-hmm. messed up. And in the first, like, five seconds of the American version, she's like, oh, my hair's messed up. And Scott, like, comes from behind the camera and walks in front of the camera and yeah. fixes her hair for her. A, we never saw Pablo and we're seeing Scott immediately. So Scott is already more of a person, but... His character is immediately defined in relationship with Angela, right? There are parts where I think it works better in the Spanish version to never see Pablo because Mm -hmm. seeing him, seeing Scott, introduces the question, like, how come sometimes he puts down the camera and, like, does stuff? And how come sometimes (laughs) he doesn't, you know? And in the Spanish version, like, you never think that because you're always watching the camera, right? Yeah. In the American version, it's like, there's one time when he, like, beats a zombie down with the camera, and there are other, there are, like, a few other times where he puts it down and, like, does stuff. Yeah. But you never, you never see Pablo at all, so you don't have to wonder about that. I got, I actually appreciated that with Scott because there were moments where it was like, all right, I know Pablo should be filming everything, but mm-hmm. Pablo, geez, there's zombies. Like, yeah. <laughs> stop filming for a second. Um, and I was thinking about one of the moments you just mentioned where Scott beats the zombie down. You know, they're not viewing these people as zombies. They're viewing these people as sick yeah. people. So Scott feels like he's just killed someone. Yeah. And that, the relationship with Angela, Angela's clearly like, damn, you just went through a traumatizing event and is being supportive of her partner in that moment. And I think that happens multiple times, particularly in the American version, because pretty early on in both movies, um, when they get to the apartment, they meet up with two police officers who have responded to this call on, uh, I think, the third floor of, you know, it's a small apartment building, so the top floor of the apartment building. Mm-hmm. Or I guess we find out that there's another floor afterward. So we do meet two police officers. And I think after stuff starts going down, they have like an interaction with the woman 
who is clearly to us a zombie. Clearly a but zombie. But they're like, oh, that was weird. And one of them gets bitten, and so like they try to bring... Was it a cop that gets bitten in the first scene? Yes, in both movies. Yeah. This is the part of the movie where it's really basically the exact same movie. Yeah. Uh, they meet up with the two cops, and the only people going into the apartment are the two cops, the two firefighters, Angela and the cameraman. And, like, immediately one of the cops gets bitten and remains in critical condition for a while before he finally turns. Yeah. And that's like the very that's like the very first thing that happens in this building, right? Yeah. Um but then they go back up with the other cop and he ends up shooting I think someone else, some other zombie that we hadn't seen before. Uh the same zombie. What is it? One woman comes like crashing in from the kitchen and like falls and dies and they're like that was weird. And then the original zombie comes up and he has to shoot her, right? Yeah. The original zombie, who I think is pretty cool in both movies because she's like this old lady um, who's just like, in like this nightgown. Ma'am, 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 listen to me. Can you hear me, Miss Espinosa? All right, we want to help you here, okay? Yeah, they basically just let that old zombie lady be in her apartment because I guess she takes a while to really become a threat. And part of both movies is well, that the zombification is, like... Unpredictable. Not, yeah, yeah, it's unpredictable. Yeah. The, my point was just that when the cop does shoot someone, like, a third or halfway through the movie, um, he's, like, really traumatized by it. Oh, yeah. Um, in both movies. In both movies, yeah. I think the American version hit me a little bit harder, mm. because I think we're Americans, and I think, like, police violence has its whole has like a context here you know whereas like it's not as if spain is uh it's not as if they haven't had a police state in the very recent past it's possible that that might might have a similar impact on them but it didn't on me whereas seeing uh columbus short almost like a nervous breakdown afterward because he uh because he had killed somebody yeah Yeah. she was coming right at it in his mind and Columbus Short is the the police officer yeah I also when I was watching the Spanish version I got like a different impression of him but I can't I don't know if I can quite put it into words you know in the Spanish version he was sort of obsessed with authority his own authority which he felt like was slipping you know well I think they established him because there's an age difference between the cops and the Spanish version Mm -hmm. that he was still trying to prove himself and then the other cop gets bitten right away, so he's finding himself in a position where he maybe doesn't feel like he has the authority, but he should, and yeah, so he's and sort of overreaching. And it's constantly questioned, and then, you know, immediately after they try to get out, they realize they can't get out, and the government has shut down the building. So the government is, like, saying, don't try to get out, like, just chill out, and we'll come and get you eventually. And so he's like, guys, we need to calm down. They'll get us eventually. And everybody's like, obviously, like, <laughs> no, that's insane. And he's yeah. like, guys, chill the fuck out, you know? <laughs> and in the American version, I I didn't see it that way. I think partially because all the characters got, like, really stripped down. Ooh. I saw them all as, like, reacting in the same, like, mixture of, like, fear and, like, self-centeredness. I felt like in the Spanish version, there there's a lot more differentiation of, like, how they reacted to things. 
Maybe. I think Columbus Short, he didn't have the age difference, the trying to prove something situation going on like the officer in the Spanish version did. But Columbus Short's police officer definitely did have that moment. He pulled his gun on them. Oh, yeah. No, like it was the same, same like story and like same everything happened the same way. I just didn't feel the same thing from those characters. What I liked about that sort of change of Columbus Short's like position within the group, and this goes to your point about the relationships, is that at first he's like, turn the camera off, like get out of here. But by halfway through their whole experience in the apartment building, a CDC guy comes in. He's the only person to enter the apartment building over the course of the night. Mm-hmm. And, of course, he's a new authority figure, and he's like, what is that camera doing here? Would you get that thing out of my face? No, 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 They have a right to shoot this, okay? And he's just completely flipped from his initial reaction, and it's nice to be like, yeah, you're on the team. And he is, until he gets bitten. Yeah. (laughs) Everybody gets bitten, so, you know, they all... But, alright, so what were we talking about? I guess this has been our long analysis of Angela, but many, uh, you know, other characters as a result of that. Angela, Angela, did you feel like there was a better actress between the two, or it was just a totally different character, and that's the difference? I thought it was the same character, but like I said, I think I got more of Angela's character, and I got more of Angela's, like, relationships and, like, interest in other people, you know? Like, it was established pretty early on that she had this relationship with Scott in the American version and you know it was implied to be that they had some romantic relationship either in the past or ongoing or oh yes yeah, got started calling her baby i was like what yeah when like shit got real but not like when it had gotten real enough that you can't call people baby you know <laughs> i feel like in a zombie situation you can't be like yo go over there baby you know like you can't do that but but you don't feel like there was a a, like, difference in quality of acting. I didn't think so. Me neither, yeah. I really liked, I really liked Anjala, and I do think she brought a lot of, like, little, little things that we were talking about, of, uh, just understanding her character very quickly, um, and I think Angela just projected maybe more confidence from the beginning, but then, like, a lot of the subtlety came out later in, like, the way that she was breaking down during the movie, you know? Because I think Angela never really lost it until, like, the very end. She you know? was losing it. When they were filming into Spy on what the CDC guy was doing, she was like, Pablo, what are they doing? What are they doing, Pablo? Pablo, coño. She was just being loud, you know? But, like... <laughs> Angela, at the end of the movie, was losing it. She was, like, freaking the fuck out in, like, a scary way, you know? Really? Because I was more like, you're making stupid choices at this point. When they were, like, in the attic? Yeah, when they were in the attic. Yeah. Obviously, this is a zombie movie, but neither movies refer to it as being a zombie. And so we got the fun zombie thing of explaining what's going on. No, here's what I think is stupid. (laughs) Like, at some point... We don't watch a lot of horror movies, obviously. Absolutely not. And I couldn't fully watch these. I had my eyes closed in some parts. But at some point in the past, someone decided, we can't do these zombie movies. Oh, why not? Because we never explain 
Why are there zombies? <laughs> well, what if it's just like a virus? Oh yeah, that's good. You know, they love and the, being a virus. That's it. Yeah. That's it. And like that, just like solved but that every. That makes so much sense because that's how. Of course, it makes zombiness sense. got transmitted. But it's so. I just feel like it's so ridiculous that like now it's like part of the zombie trope. Or, like, it's part of, like, the definition of zombie is it has to be, like, a communicable disease. There has to be, like, a biological explanation for, for zombiehood. It's the same in everything, but, like, it's always treated as, like, a reveal. I just think that's so, like, I don't need that anymore, you know? And I don't even watch this stuff. But it's, like, The Walking Dead, this, The Last of Last of Us, you know, the, the show, you know, the zombie right. show. Like, I don't need all... It's always uh, 28 Days Later, Well, we can't right? be that irritated about this stuff, David, because we don't consume any of that media but like, because every, it doesn't interest us. Every zombie thing is like... It's like in, in Underworld, they're like, you know what would be kind of cool? If we make an explanation for, like, vampires. And it's yeah, like... and it that's, is cool. It is cool. But then what if everybody else is like, shit, vampires need an explanation? Okay, fine, we're going to do it. And they People do the same thing. People are doing that, though. People do do that. That's stupid. Who does that? <laughs> Nobody does that. I mean... I watched some book... We can cut this part out because it's too random, but I read some book once that was comparing being a vampire to having HIV and a vampire uh, it was just an interesting correlation of just there's something in my blood no that's cool because that is like real without trying to say like it's like the whole Pixar thing that I don't like like oh we have to Uh explain like the machine you know we have to explain the rules back to what we're actually talking about (laughs) in uh in rec they never really speculate about what's going on but they're shut down by the health authorities mm-hmm. and we sort of infer that it is a uh, a pathogen right mm-hmm. and then at the end of the movie they're well trying... let's get to the end of the movie okay. later we'll get there in a second let's the, just talk speculation in the in the american version it's pretty clear that they're going for like this is rabies even before they yes. say it and I thought that was very well done. It's so well done. Oh my god, it's so much better than the Spanish version's explanation. Yeah. Like, you're... I, I feel your complaint that the need to have an explanation is a little, like, we don't really. I get that it's zombies, you know? Mm-hmm. But literally the only thing the Spanish version gave us was the CDC, or I don't know if it was actually the CDC in the Spanish version. Presumably not. The guy... <laughs> In the Spanish version, the only thing we get is that the medical professional who comes in like halfway through the night, he he says different blood types react at different speeds. Mm-hmm. So all we know is they clearly get that there's something medical going on here as something to do with our blood types. And stupidly, that is our explanation for why some people are going to turn into zombies really fast and other yeah. people won't. But it's also a great line because as soon as he says it, you know that someone's that immediately going to go, Rah! like, <laughs> yeah. oh, like, there's, it's going to surprise us, you know? <laughs> yeah. Oh, I wonder when, you know? Uh, but they they did not say anything like that in the American version. And like you're saying, David, they, they set up the rabies explanation. Oh, it was so beautiful. They were, well, they were all frothing, yes. right? Way more than... I don't think they frothed mm-hmm. in the Spanish version. And I think uh, Mrs. Espinosa, or who was it in the American version? Uh, Mrs. Espinosa, yeah. Uh, she... Like, they shine, like, a flashlight on her when they first saw her. And her eyes did that thing. And, that like, animal thing. And she, like, freaked out. Yeah. And 
I was immediately I was like, oh, this sensitivity to light and like frothing at the mouth and the inability to swallow that is like a rabies thing. I think it's cool that like they're mm. they're implying that like maybe this was a something that had evolved from rabies. And then so I was a little disappointed that later they came out and said it and they were like, it's rabies. No, I thought that was great. They set that up well because in the Spanish version, obviously people are being injured by the zombies. And at first, because blood types react at different speeds, we don't realize that the injured are going to turn into zombies. So they're trying to take care of the cop who was bitten, of the firefighter who was thrown down the stairwell. Because they're quarantined, no one in or out. In the Spanish version, they have a medical intern who happens to live in the building taking care of them. But in the American version, it's a veterinarian because they're already setting up, okay, this person has enough expertise to maybe take care of these wounds, but also he's going to understand that this is rabies. And he's going to deliver that line of like, no, rabies, you prevent it if you know you might have gotten infected, but once you have it, like once it's manifested... There's nothing that can be done. Wait, and that's, ooh. Like, is that actually true? I have no idea whether that's true. I don't know. I get all my information from veterinarians in movies. So. Yeah, no, that's <laughs> totally fair. And because he's a veterinarian, we got the great line where someone walks up to him and is like, have you ever seen this before? And he goes, no, mostly because I'm a veterinarian and <laughs> yeah. these are people. He was a good actor. Who played that? Uh yeah, okay, so his name was Lawrence. He was played by Greg German. I've definitely seen him and stuff. I can't, again, I can't think of it right now. He was very comedic. And this wasn't, I know we've talked previously about, like, comedy and horror going well together, but these movies didn't have, like, a ton of comedic moments yeah. or, like, that release of tension. It was really, like, this is pure horror, which yeah. is pretty fun. There would be, like, a few moments like that where it would just be, like, one line that is funny and that is delivered in a funny way. Yeah. But, like, none of the violence was, like, funny. You know, it wasn't yeah. silly, like, exactly. I don't know. Like um, Scream? Yeah, I guess, like, Scream. I don't know. There's other... Like, in Buffy, like, some of the violence is silly. Yeah. You know? Not always, but sometimes. Not when Doug Jones is on set. The one thing that is stupid related to the veterinarian is in both of these movies it's set up that a dog who belongs to one of the residents the dog is named max he was infected and spread the infection to the first people in the building to become zombies i would caveat that all right well what's stupid about it is that max the infected dog gets flagged by the veterinary clinic and that's why they responded so quickly to quarantine the building. But not because the veterinarian's office was like, the owner is Brianna. Let's go quarantine Brianna's building. Mm-hmm. No, they were like, we used the dog tags to track down his... It's just like, come on. They dropped him off at the vet. You yeah. don't need to go sleuthing around to figure out where this dog came from. Yeah, that was kind of a weird line. <laughs> so stupid. Yeah. And then... <laughs> Angela in both movies comes forward and goes, was the dog's name Max? Which, like, obviously we need the connection to be made, but it's like, yeah, no, we we know. Okay, so I think that they cleaned it up a little bit in the American version. Really? I was expecting them to and felt like they didn't, but what did you see? Well, my inference... Well, so to start, in watching Wreck, uh, the Spanish version, it's heavily implied that, like, 
if there is a patient zero, it's Max, right? Because right. Max was sick, and then the only other sick person is, um, aside from the the lady who gets called, the only other sick person is the little girl, and it's her dog, mm-hmm. right? So our assumption is, okay, Max bit the lady upstairs at some point in the past few days, and it has taken her until now to, you know, show yeah. these symptoms or, like, to develop into this way, right? And then, meanwhile, Max is at the vet. You know, the Spanish equivalent of the CDC is called the little girls also getting sick with, <clears throat> quote-unquote, tonsillitis, <laughs> yeah. right? Which is, like, funny because as soon as we hear that in the movie, we're like, oh, she's got it. And then, like, yeah. later on, she, like, her mom is holding her and she's like, it's just tonsillitis. <laughs> and then in the American version, it's what? It's bronchitis. Oh, I don't know. Yeah, but yeah. something else where it's the same thing, just with a different... Yeah. <laughs> and you just, you know, oh, woman, you're holding a zombie, you're holding like, a zombie. Like, literally <laughs> holding her up to her neck, yes. you know? Let him do a check, ma'am. That's all we gotta do. That's all she has is just a little bronchitis. (laughs) But yeah, so in the Spanish version, I feel like it's heavily implied the dog bit a couple people in the apartment building, probably bit the little girl, and you can trace everybody that got sick back to the dog. Mm -hmm. And then in the American version, I think they clean it up a little bit because there are rats scurrying around that are also infected, Mm. you sort of get the impression, okay, we have no clue who the original uh, host of this sickness is because this entire building is just like ground zero for, Mm. for this sickness. You know, the rats, the dog, at least two or three people... Because in the American version, they also go into another apartment where this woman oh, yeah, is... Yeah, other people are already infected. Yeah, this woman is sitting in front of her TV and just, like, drooling and, like, catatonic, yeah. you know. And you know she couldn't have seen the little girl or the older woman. But then you see a rat in her apartment and the cameraman has to, like, stomp the rat. It's interesting to me your take on that because the inclusion of the rats was a disappointment for me because it made me start thinking about the movie more logically of like oh really rats would be able to enter and exit this building no matter what humans tried to do that's why there are sequels stop them (laughs) well sure right i guess if you're if you're thinking about the franchise then you want the rats in the building but the fact that they're going so hard to quarantine this building yeah, the minute I'm like, oh yeah, rats can leave the building, well, then the whole quarantining process is just stupid. I think we should also have a separate little mini discussion about, you know, having lived through a pandemic and a quarantine, the way that maybe we view this differently. When COVID started, it wasn't like, oh, we got one guy in one apartment and we're going to lock it down, but he just escaped, you know? Like, that's not what happened. It's like, oh, we detected this thing, a bunch of people and a bunch of animals have this thing, and we don't exactly know what the original thing was. We know where it came from, but it's already too late. And I thought the American version reminded me more of that, of, like, the reality of the way that these pandemics are detected. It's like, already, by the time they go into this apartment building... Multiple people are infected, rats, 
dogs, maybe other animals are infected in the building and probably elsewhere in the city. Yeah. You know, it's in Los Angeles. Whereas in the Spanish version, in both movies, we find out it's not actually the dog. It's, there is a patient zero. Well, let me say, I think we're understanding it the same way and just having different reactions Mm -hmm. to it. Because, yeah, like I said, that makes me start thinking about it too logically. Whereas the Spanish version managed to maintain some sort of, like, supernatural, like, fantasy even element to it. This isn't the real world. This is the zombie world. And in the zombie world, if we can just keep the quarantine department quarantined, we'll fix it. And of course, there's a patient zero. There's some source of this thing. And it might be mystical. It might be magical. But it came from somewhere. I see that. And the American version is... Back to that whole, like, too much explanation. It's got to be a virus. It's got to be medical. we got to, you know, be able to... You're right. No, I, I feel like you're right. We're saying... We're seeing the same things, but viewing it differently. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, now that we're talking about it, should we get into, you know, what the, the end of the movie is and the reveal? Yes. Let me give a brief overview of it the last... It was terrifying as fuck. It's so fucking scary. The last, like, ten minutes of this movie... So, they are trying to do anything they can to leave the building. Mm -hmm. At this point, they've managed to get the landlord's keys so they, if they can open the door fast enough, they can get in anywhere. They know that there's a penthouse, which for some reason in the American version they called an attic, which I think set up the wrong anticipation for what they'd find up there. So they have the keys. If they can open the door fast enough, they can get in anywhere however the zombies are forcing where they can go so even though they want to go down and try to find some way out through like for some reason there's like a a textile workshop in the building they're trying to i know it doesn't really make sense they're trying to get out through there but the stairwell is full of zombies well i would say i think it makes sense for barcelona never having been to barcelona but from my understanding of barcelona it's more like a mixed-use building in L.A., that would just never happen, right? Maybe, like, I don't know. I don't know, but continue. So, having nowhere else to go, they have unlocked the penthouse, which we've only heard about and never seen. And at the same time, because of all of the jostling around and action that's been happening, the light attached to the cameraman's camera is dying and then gone. Yeah, they were using it as a flashlight. Because they uh, the electricity gets cut. To they the cut building. they cut power to the building, um, and so the only light that they have is the light that with this camera. Yeah. Yeah. So when that oh I'm getting chills thinking about it when that light goes off, of course, they are freaking out. At this point, the only humans left are Angela and the cameraman, and so the cameraman says, "I can turn on night vision. Stay behind me. We can see." what is going on and at some point in all this maybe before they have to start using night vision they start sort of seeing clues in the apartment and we'll Mm -hmm. get into the differences of those but you get some backstory of like wait a minute something has been going on here for a while Mm -hmm. this has been a ticking time bomb and it's not just a random like why it happened here and so then as they're walking around an attic door falls open and of course for some fucking reason the cameraman's like i'm gonna go check it out i guess the reason would be they're still looking for an escape 
out of this building. They know there's zombies elsewhere in the building, so maybe the attic is a safe route out. This is where I had to close my eyes. So David, what happens when he puts his camera up in the attic? I think it's the same in both of them. He does like a 360 with the camera, but it's like slow. So it takes 10 seconds and it's a night vision and it's dark. You get halfway through and then three quarters of the way through and you're like, oh, maybe there's nothing up here, you know? But then you're really like, no, there's definitely something up here. And then when we get to the 360th degree, like this thing jumps out at you and like scares, scares so uh, the cameraman, so yeah, scary. Pablo. And the night Scott. vision, I mean, obviously evoking the same uh, like silence of the lambs, sort of just tension of just, you know, you can see the characters, but you know they can't see anything. <laughs> it's so scary. Mm-hmm. Yeah, especially because in Silence of the Lambs, you're viewing it from from Buffalo the murderer's Bills. perspective. Yeah, like true. yeah, he like he's behind his night vision glasses and he's yeah. like reaching out his hand. So it's it's like the opposite because we're seeing it from Pablo's perspective, but it's it's very similar because we know that like Angela or Angela can't. Can't, see, can't anything. see anything. But the saving grace is, that's a good point, David, that the monster, this also patient zero, see. it can't see anything. Yeah. So the cameraman says, okay, if we just stay absolutely still, make no noise, yeah. they won't detect us. So we get some terrifying moments of just watching this monster move about the space. And then, of course, some small sound is made. The cameraman gets killed. Angela Angela is trying to take control back of the camera in order to get back to watching the night vision in order to somehow make her way out. But she's fallen to the floor in the commotion as well. So now the camera is on the floor looking at her as she is crawling, trying to silently pull herself towards the camera to get it. And then something grabs her from behind and she's just pulled out of sight. Yeah, dragged into the darkness. Screen goes black. End of the movie, yeah. Although I will say the Spanish version added a voiceover at the very end of a clip from earlier when she goes, Pablo, we have to film everything. Pablo, grabalo todo. Por tu puta madre. And I thought that was a really nice way to end it. That was, yeah. yeah. And I was sad that they didn't do that in the American because they had the same line. They literally had so much of the similar beat for beat. Mm Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Woo! chills but right that attic was full of clues and then a very scary monster and there were some pretty significant differences and i think it's worth it to delve into them what are your thoughts david well so in the end of the spanish version they go up into this attic and this is like literally the last five minutes of the movie so if you're watching it and you're watching it on like streaming you'll be like this movie's gonna end in like one minute (laughs) and it does you know so there's like a lot being revealed at the very last second of the movie. But she's walking through the apartment and there's it's like classic creepy apartment, you know, very silence of the lambs, mm-hmm. very like uh I don't know what else it it gives vibes of um like I've got vibes of a beautiful mind when they realize that yes, he's like, succumbed to the like the, the newspaper again. clippings on the wall. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's very a beautiful mind. Um yeah, so she, so Anjala in the Spanish version is like reading the newspaper clippings, and they're all about this girl. Was it like a Portuguese girl who had been uh, uh, identified by the Catholic Church as possessed? Yeah, and so like the Catholic Church sent an agent to 
I don't want to say kidnap, but to right. uh, deal with her. And I guess we're meant to infer that that person, that priest, brought her to this apartment in Barcelona and had been, like, working on it. I'm trying to exercise her. I'm trying to exercise her. But also in a scientific way, because there were, um, I don't know if antibody is the right word, but, like, there were notes, and uh, I think there was, like, a recording of him talking about, you know, what he had done to do this in, like, a scientific way. So he's an exorcist, but he's also recognizing that this is a biological pathogen, right? Mm-hmm. Anyway, so that happens, and then you're right, like, the attic door opens, and then everything from there is no plot, just scary, right? Yeah. Uh, but in the American version, instead, the newspaper clippings are about, what is it, like? You tell me, because it was so disjointed. I saw the word cult, like... Yeah, it was confusing. It was so poorly done, and I was so disappointed. It was like, well, I wouldn't say that, but you're right, it was a cult, so I think what we're meant to infer is that the cult created there's the like, virus. There's a doomsday cult that yeah. created this virus intentionally. So it's almost the opposite of the Spanish version where the church was, was trying, trying to, to contain it. Right. Like even though they viewed it the wrong way and were not being responsible about it, like <laughs> yeah. they weren't trying to spread it, I thought. Yeah. But in the American version, yeah, it's a doomsday cult. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Alright, I know. Which also, why would a member of the Doomsday Cult be clipping items about the Doomsday Cult and putting them on his... I guess that's true of both cases. Like, it doesn't really make sense. Yeah, in both cases, whoever is renting this penthouse is maybe not the person who the cult or the church should have been trusting. Well, that's absolutely true. I don't know. They were out of their depth. Well, the Doomsday Cult did a good job. I guess that's true. That's true. And probably the mentality that would make you want to do that might also make you put newspaper clippings all over. So do you think that if you were in a doomsday cult, you'd be like, hey, we got mentioned today. Let me clip that on the wall, on my (laughs) creepy wall. But I thought like in the American version, the apartment was so fucking creepy. And I don't remember it being that like creepy and disgusting in the Spanish version. It felt more like a lab in the American version. Like, because there were, like, cages and things? There were, like, cages with, like, rats, but you didn't see most of the animals and stuff. So you're either meant to think, like, oh, are the animals in there but dead? Or are the animals in there but, like, they've been transformed in some way, but you can't really see them. And so it's, like, just disgusting. And she's just like, ew, like, what am I doing? Like, this is horrible, you know? Let's find a way out. Oh, oh, what is this? Oh, my God. Shh, 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 shh. Please, you I don't know. I got you. I got you. And it's like, yeah, I'm the, right there with you. Stop moving. Don't touch anything. You yeah, know, and like, like, be quiet. There's zombies everywhere. Yeah. Stop. But she's like freaking out. Yeah. And I, I bought her freak out. I oh, thought yeah. that was good. Yeah. I thought she was really good at the at the final freak out and I was like I wouldn't be happy in this situation either but you're making me freak out more and that's what she's supposed to be doing right yeah no she was great uh but just in terms of the apartments and the clues and what we're given to piece this all together I thought it was masterful the way the Spanish version gave Mm -hmm. us the ideas and I think 
obviously I'm a sucker for religious things being incorporated into movies. Mm-hmm. So, of course, the the religious iconography that was part of all of the wall decoration, you've got all these, like, the crucifix and everything. You're just a like, classic oh, creepy. this is a religious, like, nutcase going on here. But, I mean, all the way going back to, like, The Exorcist, like, oh, classic yeah. creepy horror kind of thing. Yeah, you know? so, and just bringing in that element... And it was so easy to pick up on, like, what has happened here. So, this is a zombie movie, but in Wreck, in the Spanish version, maybe zombies are, possessed demons. Yeah. You know? Like, maybe it can be both. Um, Yeah, yeah, no, I agree, and I like that. What I didn't like, I was already very fixated on, like, is Max the dog causing this problem? (laughs) And... I was very confused about how Max got infected in the first place. Patient Zero is this little girl, right? Mm -hmm. Who's now gigantic. Right, who's now, you know, probably a teenager or whatever, like a late teenager, but like an adult, like a terrifying, gaunt adult, right? Probably not of adult mental capacity, But how did Max, yeah, how did Max get to the... Yeah, and I feel like house? I feel like in the American version, it's just like there is infection everywhere in this building. Uh, anyone could have caught it because at this point the rats have it. Every Max has it. Everything in this building is is out. Whereas the Spanish version needs like what cross there was no space connection. did Max get through that the possessed girl couldn't? Like that somehow she escaped, which I don't think we really have evidence for that, you know? Even that, I mean... You get the sense that she's stuck in the attic in the penthouse, even though she's this monster. I bet there's some explanation. In fact, Wreck 3, I believe, because it is a franchise, it's not a found footage film, and I think it's meant to happen concurrently with Wreck, so it might fill in some of the gaps there. (laughs) <laughs> right, but we're not reviewing the Wreck series. <laughs> no. I mean, no, you know, I, I think it's kind of a plot hole that... It's not the kind of plot hole that, like, like oh, I'm looking for plot holes. I want to find... Like, why was, yeah. why was Eric Roberts at the hospital in the Dark Knight? You know, it's not that kind of thing. The movie kind of invites you to wonder how this started. Yeah. And then it gives you an answer... It gives you two answers. And then you kind of are wondering how do those two answers connect to each other. And I think the American version does a better job of connecting those answers. Yeah. But does I that do... sound fiction spin? Yeah. Cause right. But I do think that I agree with you that I think the possession is more creepy and in a way more interesting. And also it was just presented better. Yeah. It was it was really well done visual storytelling there. And some audio. They did play a tape. Yeah. But they really, they gave it to In both us movies, they played, the, they played the tape. Yeah. The yeah, last... the, the American version, I thought, was underwhelming. Absolutely. Uh, totally. Af- because as soon as I realized that they were doing something different, I was, like, trying to figure out what it was. And the Doomsday Cult, I was like, eh. Yeah. You know, that doesn't explain much, you know? It continued to underwhelm me, David, and I'm going to feel terrible saying this, but when we saw the monster... I mean, I was watching this through, like, my fingers. I was so scared watching Rick. But I thought it was so incredible that the next day I was Google image searching, like, all of the frames with the Rick monster in it. 
because it was such good like makeup and mm-hmm. the way this monster looked. The monster's name is Tristana Medeiros, played by Javier Botet. So good. Crazy emaciated, super tall and thin, just terrifying. So the natural choice for a creature like that in a Hollywood film is Doug Jones. And Doug Jones is awesome. But the monster that they made in quarantine is just not quite as scary as the one in Wreck. Even though it's designed to look the exact same. And it might literally just be the physicality of these two actors, which I know is heresy to say. um, Because Doug Jones, you know, he's famous for doing the Monsters in Pan's Labyrinth. Um, Basically anything that requires heavy, heavy makeup. He did um, some Hellboy villain that was very popular, the Angel of Death. Uh, Well, he did, uh, he was, I think, Abe Sapien in, so he was one of the good guys in um, Hellboy. Oh, okay. And um, are there any Buffy fans out there? He plays the lead gentleman on the episode Hush, which is the creepiest episode of Buffy, and he's incredible in that. But I don't know. And maybe it's just like I was used to the first one, and so the second one just wasn't what I wanted it to be. Well, two things. One, I think we should get into that, or I think like what I have to say about that sort of gets into territory of like which... I liked better, mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. I'm going to reserve it for now. Okay. And two, just to go backward for a second, I think the Spanish reveal of the um, possession is like answering a question, but also presenting another mystery. Where's the girl? Certainly where's the girl, yeah. Which we find out immediately. Yes. You know, <laughs> you have to wonder like, oh, like shit, the original possessed zombie is here. But also, like, I think that's a better answer because then we're like, shit, like, if possession is real, like, how did that girl get possessed? If it's a pathogen, like, how did she get it? Like, if it's a possession, Mm. all bets are off. You know what I mean? Whereas if it's a doomsday cult and it's this guy in this attic working on a hyper (laughs) virulent, what's the word? I don't know. Like a hyper aggressive, like, rabies virus then there's no mystery. Like, we understand immediately, mm-hmm. you know, even though we don't know who patient zero is in the same way, we understand how this started. Well, except for that. Well, we do know who patient zero is, but we don't we don't know necessarily, like, who bit who to start this call, right? Yeah. But anyway, was there any other uh, topics that you wanted to discuss before we got into? All right, my final topic before we talk about you know, our overall evaluations of the movies is just obviously the U.S. version. They saw Wreck. It was very much award-winning, highly acclaimed film. So they created the American version within a year. Quarantine came out in 2008. What changes did the U.S. version do to the movie? So I wrote a couple down. One thing I was so glad to see someone actually ripped through the quarantine plastic because they're in this life or death situation and like, yeah, they're surrounded by all of these cop cars and everything, but the only barrier that's really been put up is, I guess they've locked the front doors from the outside somehow. Mm-hmm. But for all of the windows and everything, they've just put this plastic sheeting all around it to try to like contain the air and everything, honestly. And so somebody 
decides to open their window and cut through the plastic. Because, yeah, wouldn't you just jump off of your balcony? Out of desperation. Yeah. yeah. And he does it and immediately gets headshotted. And it's just like, okay, we needed that question answered, though. Yes. What yes. would happen if you tried to right. actually leave the building? And if you... Whether you were acting logically, in which case, like, your rationale would be, if I stay here, I'm going to get eaten by zombies, (laughs) right? If I leave, I might not die. That's a rational reason to do that. Or you could just be freaking the fuck out and be like, I need to get out of this building and do it. But either way, the conclusion is the same. Someone has to decide, I need to escape. And we didn't, yeah, we didn't quite get that in the Spanish version because they did it a couple times where they would be like, oh, well, like, uh, this apartment upstairs has a balcony that you can jump across the, you know, whatever, the alleyway or whatever. But as soon as they realize that there are people outside, they don't even try. Yeah. So, like, every time they go, they would confront a door or a window that there would be, like, a SWAT team with, like, machine guns standing on the other side saying, get the fuck away from the door, we'll shoot you, you know? Yeah. Which, like, yeah, the first couple times, But I'm eventually, like, yes. that guy's not scarier than a zombie. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Either rationally or irrationally, yeah. someone's gonna try, gonna try it. And we did get that in the American version. And you needed something to tell you, no, there's no escape. Right. Yeah, exactly. And I think it makes sense because in the American version, that only comes like most of the way through the movie. Yeah, that's when like our friends have started turning into zombies. Like we, yeah, we've started making friends with the people in the building. Yeah. Like there are the people who are kind of the survivors, you know. Yeah, I think at that point the veterinarian has become a zombie. Yeah, and there, there's just a very few people that are like. Okay, now we all know what's going on, and then even they are like, no, I'm freaking the fuck out, and it makes sense that that's the time when people would try to test it. I thought it was a very well-placed scene. I thought overall that whole bit improved upon one of the weaker scenes in the Spanish version. Both movies, they want to get something where a, a crew has gone into an apartment and realized one person is infected... So they try to put that person in another room, but oh no, the door to that room is just a big glass window. It's not a door, it's just an opening. And then someone's gonna stand in front of that door, and it's just so stupid. Oh, yes. So stupid in the Spanish version. Why is anyone near the door? Whereas in the American version, someone was just in the window got shot in the head, everyone's trying to get away from the window so they don't get shot. It's not just that, so like... If you think about every direction, north, south, east, and west, Mm -hmm. every direction was a threat. So, like, south is the door that they came in, Mm -hmm. the door to the hallway. North is the window, you know, you cut open the window, that is, uh, you get shot, right? Mm -hmm. And even after, like, they all hid from the window, the SWAT teams were, like, still shooting into the building, you know, trying Mm -hmm. to kill them um, and prevent them from getting out. And then on the east side, they had uh, the CDC guy locked in that room. Who's turned into and a they zombie didn't, now. And they didn't even know 
he was just like, he ran in there and they thought he was just being a coward. And then they found him and they were like, you motherfucker. And they were about to beat the shit out of him just out of like pure anger. And he was like, no, I've been bitten. I'm hiding, you know? Yeah. And they're like, okay, let's lock you in there. Yeah. The and then on the west side. The being like, I've been bitten. Get away from me. Lock yeah. me in here. And then on the west side. Right. Like, and you thought he was a coward. He went from being like yeah. the villain of the movie to being like. The person with the right response to the infection. Yes. Yeah. And then on the west side of the room, you have, uh. I'm just making up these directions, but you have this woman who's sitting there and being like, no, I didn't get bitten, but she's like got blood on her shirt. Oh my and then God. a second later, you see her like chewing her finger off. Let me tell you, that was my favorite zombie reveal I've ever seen ever because she's freaking out. She's already established as this woman who's clearly in a, in a weird power imbalance relationship yeah. with her opera teacher who she's living with. So you've got a lot of, like, concerns and also just questions about this girl and what situation she's in. So she is freaking out like a little child, biting her fingernails in the corner. Everyone's checking, did you get bitten? Did you get bitten? Did you get bitten? She's like, no, no, continues to chew on her fingernails. The next time the camera goes to her, she's all the way down to her knuckles and she's just been eating her fingers and it's terrifying and it was so... That was so cool. But even then, I mean, they're not freaking out because there's a threat in every direction. And I think Yeah, you they were... still don't run away from her because they can't go anywhere else. Yeah, and I think you you said immediately afterward, you were like, oh, that's better than the Spanish version because it makes sense that there's a threat on the other side. Yeah. As to, like, why, in the end, someone walked toward uh, the CDC guy who was bitten. Who was like, able to reach toward... through the door and kill And you're like, anymore. it makes more sense because there's a threat on the other side of the room. And, but yeah, now that I'm thinking about it, there's a threat in every fucking direction. Yeah, there's the wrong apartment to hide out in. Well, they can't go anywhere. I mean, you know. (laughs) Um, All right, other differences in the U.S. version. Let's see. Okay, the only other differences I have are having to do with the set. The original Spanish version set was, like, perfect. And I think the American version tried hard to recreate it. Because it creates space, like, vertically while still being very confining. And that's like the atmosphere you want to create. So the apartments are set up around a big spiraling staircase. Mm -hmm. So there is an open air all the way from the bottom up to the penthouse, which is why like the firefighter was able to be thrown down all of those stairs. And also, like, when they're trying to decide with the keys, do we go up or down? They look down and there's all these zombies in the stairs. Yeah. You know, they know they have to go up. And I'm trying to rem- I'm trying to think of, like, how to explain it, like, visually. And I think in, like, the Born Identity in the first movie, there's an apartment building like that at the end where the climax happens in Born Ghostbusters. They climb up a really tall building, but the stairwell is very similar, where there's like a central stairwell. Yeah. I mean, or maybe you've seen Record Quarantine, and that's why you're listening to this podcast. Perhaps. So perhaps. Hopefully I'm just trying can. to illustrate the kind of building. You know Let me tell I mean? you what I was confused by, though, which is, for some reason, the building in the American version had an elevator, but we never saw where the elevator actually opened on the main floor, just Somehow they yeah. end up on one of the upper floors. They're trying to get into someone's apartment. And all of a sudden, there's an elevator door opening. There's a rabid dog, which, or I guess a zombie dog. Not Max. Not any dog we've seen before. Just running around up here. 
and the drunk lawyers in the elevator. And so they give us a scene of, oh, the drunk lawyer gets gotten by the zombie dog and the dog's just eating him in the elevator, you know, off the elevator door. And then you know closed. next time we use the elevator. That they're, they're in there. Yeah. But... Where the fuck was this elevator? Like, that really yeah, confused me. That made it seem like... You know, I could be wrong, but the Spanish movie seemed like it was shot at an apartment building. Yeah, it really felt like American, we were going through the space. The American movie, possibly because there are not American apartments like that, mm. was like, let's do an L.A. version of this apartment building. But spatially, it didn't make as much sense. And... There were multiple times that I thought they were hiding uh, cuts in the shots Mm. where they were just like whip the camera around. I wasn't sure why they were doing it, but now I'm wondering if some of that was the cover that this is a set, you know? Uh, Maybe. Yeah. I think you're probably right. But I'll also say if I hadn't already seen Wreck and had that apartment building in mind, maybe this stuff wouldn't have stood out to me in quarantine. Yeah, that's that's fair. I I do feel like the Spanish version was very much more. Um, you were more geographically aware, right? Mm-hmm. And in both movies, they have scenes where they're like, "Okay, how many apartments are in the building? There's two floors on the first, fl- or there's two apartments on the first floor. There's three apartments on the second and third floors. Then on the top floor, there's this guy, but nobody knows him. You know what I mean? And so it's like that's this family, that's these guys, that's everybody. You know? Yeah. You get that in both movies, but in the even though we watched the American movie second, I was still more confused about the layout of the building and like where people lived and how many people were in the building because they yeah. kept being like, "Well, there's these other people," <laughs> yeah. and it's like, "Well, they live on the third floor," and I I don't know, I was just confused about like yeah how many floors there were and because I thought that the original zombie lived on the top floor and then they're like going to higher floors and it's like why is there an elevator in this building. I think it was just, it was clearer in the Spanish version, the, the constraints of the building, you know. Yeah. Well, those were, those were the main changes, uh, aside from the ending being quite different uh, in terms of the actual monster. But yeah, these movies were very, very closely aligned. Um, overall, same story, very similar shots, very similar dialogue, different languages, obviously. So before we get into which one we like better, is there anything else you feel we need to touch on? No, the only, this is another thing that post-pandemic, I think, struck a chord uh, in the Spanish version. Post-COVID pandemic. Yeah. Yes. Post-real pandemic, not zombie apocalypse, Mm -hmm. right? Which uh, isn't scheduled to happen for another couple years as of this (laughs) recording. In the Spanish version, which I watched like 15 years ago, you know, when it was pretty new. Mm -hmm. But watching it now, post-pandemic, I feel like you view even zombie movies in a different light. And there's one family in the Spanish version that uh, I think they call them Chinese at one point. You know, I don't speak Spanish, so I don't I don't have a very good idea of like what their accent sounded like or anything like that. And basically like they blamed these people and they were saying like, oh, this is uh, this is the origin of of all these problems. And obviously that's like an mm-hmm. unsubtle reference to the way that people blame immigrants for everything, yeah. you know? Yeah. Like it's not an uncommon thing. But I think after the pandemic it is, especially like a pandemic that originated in China, 
we had a lot of people in this country and I think worldwide blaming people who, for whatever reason, oh, they look like they're Chinese, you know, people would get blamed for, you know, being unclean or being unsafe to be around and stuff. And it's hard not to think about that. And then in the American movie, uh, they weren't Asian. They were... They were African immigrants? African. Unclear where they were from. I thought they were speaking maybe French. I'm not good with language, so, you know, take this with a grain of salt. I don't know what they were speaking. Um, There was, like, an apartment with uh, African people, you know, who didn't speak English. And I think one of them was wearing, uh, like, a full headscarf, right? Yeah, the same thing. At one point, people were like, well, it was probably them that did this. And I think, like, it was a family and their their elderly dad was sick with... What 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 was it? Uh, just that he wasn't... He was bedridden for whatever reason. So in both movies, he never leaves the apartment. I don't know if we ever actually see him. Yeah, I think that's a little lame that i think it's a bit of a missed opportunity because yes. like there shouldn't obviously be we want to see zombie granddad come and there just shouldn't be unaccounted for people um but yeah because he's bedridden the other people especially i think the woman with the child that turns out to be a zombie she's like how do we know that it's not it's probably coming from them they brought this here you yeah. know and so i don't know i was just struck by that you know it's it's a very minor thing but uh it's not like it was super uh clairvoyant you know because that's just how people blame immigrants for everything but i do think it is prescient in light of what we experienced so. no i i think those are great points very real yeah that along with uh you know the the police shooting i think has changed its relevance you know and the cdc person taking the Proper precautions after getting infected. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah, although, like, you know, these movies make, uh, like, if if the CDC had reacted this way to to COVID, you know, it would have been a different situation. You know, I think maybe these movies had more faith in the health authorities than than (laughs) we do now, Uh, especially, uh, I don't know. Especially in America, perhaps. I think these movies maybe imagine the health authorities have more power than they actually have. Right. Like, I don't... Like, we lived through a quarantine, and I don't remember going to the window and having a SWAT <laughs> team be like, get the fuck back, you know? And it's like, well, that probably, you know, would have saved lives, you know? Maybe oh you don't believe with that, that approach, but uh, we didn't do that. All right, David. Between Wreck, Spanish movie from 2007, and Quarantine, Hollywood, American movie from 2008, which did you prefer? In many ways, the work of a critic is easy. We risk very little, yet enjoy a position over those who offer up their work and themselves to our judgment. Can I give you like kind of a weird answer? David, you have to pick one. I'm going to pick one, but can I give you weird reasons for it? <laughs> okay. I think the Spanish version, but there's something about this concept that is, uh, you know, you're you're going to like a new apartment building, like where you don't know anybody, and you're discovering all this thing all at once. Mm-hmm. And I think there's something that having it be in a different language adds to that. That makes me like the Spanish version a little bit more. 
there's like a little bit of a distance between you and the characters. There's a more of a distance between the characters and each other. And in the American version, there wasn't that distance. And there were all these like very surface level things. Not that it was like superficial, but that just being an American and speaking English, like I understand these things. Like things on a very... felt familiar. Yeah. yeah. And to me, having this movie and having any scary movie in another language is more scary. So you would say, like, in our adolescence, The Grudge and The Ring were, like, the big scary movies. And they were both remakes of, I believe, a Korean movie and a Japanese movie. Is that right? <laughs> I wouldn't know. They were both remakes of Asian movies and... Would you say is probably the same there, that the fact that the original was in another language, taking away everything else, like the technical effects of the movie and the acting and the visuals, do you think the reason people say, oh, the original rings so much scarier might have something to do with just the language difference? I have no idea. I haven't seen any of those movies. I don't know anybody you that's... haven't seen any of those movies? Have you? Yeah. Oh, I thought you didn't watch scary movies. I didn't, but, you know, I was a teenager when The Grudge came out. It was hard to avoid. All right. I would say, uh, while we were watching the American version, I was feeling like... I was already thinking about the differences between Angela and Angela. Like, these slight differences for someone who's really the exact same character. Mm -hmm. And I was like, that, for me, is the only thing really sticking out as a good enough, like, point of comparison mm -hmm. to evaluate which one's better. Because, yeah, there's differences. There's things that disappointed me in the American version, like the elevator that didn't make sense. But there's also things that were cool, like the girl chewing down her fingers. So I was And like, you also, when we first watched the Spanish version, there was one shot in particular where they look at the whole spiral staircase mm -hmm. and all these people that you didn't know were zombies, but you knew had been left behind. They turn to the camera and they go, ah, <laughs> and you were like, that sucked. Yeah, that <laughs> you were like, I think, I think we like, no offense to Spanish cinema, but I, you were like, I think we can do it better. You know? Yeah, <laughs> I did. Uh, there were, as we said, some, Moments that were meant to be comedic, but I think that was meant to be scary. No, that was meant to be scary. <laughs> no. I thought that was, I thought that was, it wasn't so much that it was like scary, but it was like almost devastating emotionally because that's like the fireman that she had been paired with at the beginning of the movie yes. and that had been like protecting us the whole time. And yeah. like, you know that he was left behind. He was like locked out of the door or something. And they, they kept he running. He was taking down that, that zombie. And they kept running. So you know what probably happened to him. But you don't you don't find out until that moment. And then you just see him. And it's like, it's devastating because it's like, wow, I don't even have time to think about what I lost. Mm. The only thing is to escape, you know, to keep running, right? Tough for me to think about any of that with a bunch of people going, blah! <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I thought... I, I agree it wasn't... Uh... I did think I did think that the American version would do that scene better. But overall, I didn't feel like the American version gave it the, the Hollywood horror treatment of, like, making a really scary, like, disturbing movie. Another mm. example would be the, um, the little girl. The whole time, like you mentioned, David, there's the girl who has tonsillitis. And the Spanish version even had an added scene where the girl's, like, 
tapping on the camera. I guess she turns it on when Pablo had put it down for a minute, which I think is meant to be a very suspenseful scene. And I was like, oh, they better do that scene better in the American version because I don't think the suspense landed. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, a creepy kid messing with a camera? But they didn't do it, right? They didn't do it. Um, what I think the Spanish version was lacking in that scene was they didn't give the zombie indication because I guess maybe they felt that it was meant to be a twist, but it's like, no, we should be, we should know that she's a zombie mm-hmm. and be scared that the adults don't. But they, they sort of dropped the ball there, I think. And then they didn't include the scene at all in the American version. And come on, Hollywood movies are so good at creepy children. So, and you know, honestly, the girl is played by Joey King, who is not my favorite actress as an adult now. I feel nicer judging her as an adult actress. I won't judge her for her child acting in this movie. In both movies, there's a scene where Angela, Anala, interviews the little girl and, uh, that scene was definitely better in the Spanish version. Yeah, yeah, I thought so. And it's sort of just, uh, you know, after after they realize they're locked in, but before they realize, like, how much danger they're in just by being there, and she's interviewing her as, like, a human interest story, and, like, a, man, this is, like, a terrible shared experience that we're all going through. Oh, you're such a brave little girl. Like, oh, and you're not feeling well, and you're sick, and... And I thought the little girl was really good in that. Yeah. Yeah, no, I agree. Overall, though, Angela on Hello is going to be the the call for me. Mm-hmm. And already I was leaning towards the Spanish version. And then the last ten minutes of the movie happened. And as we've already gone over, so I won't repeat myself now, but just the the whole cult virus reveal of the monster, it just was not at all as good as it was in Wreck. What can I tell you, kid? You're right. When you're right, you're right. You're right. Mm-hmm. Even though they tried to recreate so much, including Angela being pulled away from the camera at the end, that's still scary. That's still a good shot. Which they did in the trailer for Quarantine, and a bunch of people were pissed off because... Yeah, spoil the, like, Literally the last final second <laughs> of that movie, which I don't care about because I don't watch scary movies, but... Yeah. yeah, that would be really annoying if you were really into scary movies and you're like, oh, that quarantine movie looked crazy. And then you go to it and uh, you realize that Angela's going to die as soon as you see her, you know? Yeah. I uh, So Angela is, what, Jennifer Carpenter? Is mm-hmm. that her name? She is in Dexter, the Dexter show. Oh, I've never seen it. I've never seen it either, but I feel like it was so popular it was. around this time. I probably a couple of years before this movie came out. Even I like recognize her from that. No, she was a totally new face for me. But she was good. I, was I good. did I did really like, especially like at the end when they go to the uh attic apartment and she is just she totally can be freaking out, like yeah, being she's just, beyond rational thought. Yeah. yeah. Like, just having having nothing to offer, you yeah. know, except, like, because she can't see and she's, like, wandering through this apartment and we can see better than her. And we know, like, actually, if you could see, it would be way worse, you know? <laughs> yeah. And I thought she did a great job there. Yeah. And I think it, it's worth saying, like, yeah, she's 
good. Both both actresses, Manuela Velasco from the Spanish version, portraying Angela, also very good. Really, like this is a good film. This mm-hmm. is a good story, a very good horror story. That it's contained. You know, you have a manageable cast to get to know. They all turn into zombies eventually. It's a very neat story. And, like, I get why Rec won so many awards and why it was remade. And I think the remake is a good remake. I was just disappointed by the ending. And I was only disappointed by the ending because I'd seen the original. I think if I'd just in quarantine, I'd be like, dang, that was a good horror movie. Do you buy into the idea of, like, horror movies reflecting societal anxieties? I think I approach horror starting from a, like, fantasy standpoint because I've always enjoyed fantasy more than horror, so if I'm going to understand and appreciate horror, that's sort of my avenue in. Um, So thinking about it from, like, a sociological standpoint or something, I can get into that discussion, but it's not usually my first thought when it comes to horror. So I buy it, but it's not, like, my lens, if that Mm. makes sense. I mean, you mentioned the the immigrant family in both movies, that there was an immigrant family that, you know, the racism came out in this situation. If each apartment is, like, people in society, yeah, we see how do people interact in moments of great stress and mm-hmm. need. And it's very uplifting that in these movies, they came together and sort of, like, became a team. <laughs> Yeah, they became Team Zombie. Well, eventually they become... T- Before they were Team Zombie, they were definitely Team Apartment. Apartment building. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Because I think it's What more... about when Columbus Short is like, they have a right to film. That was uplifting. We're on the same side. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I did not think Columbus Short was great in this movie. Wow. I thought he was fine. <laughs> I mean... Fine is not great. All right. I thought he was great in uh, Death at a Funeral. Yeah. But not not great in this movie. I felt like he was just going kind of through the motions of like what the character had been in the Spanish movie. But aside from all that, yeah, I think uh, in an American context, it doesn't really make sense that all these different groups of people would be living in the same apartment building. You know, most apartment buildings are either designed for single people or childless couples or... Families with children, you know, but not all of the above in the same building. So having like this cross section of society, you know, I think that makes sense as like a social commentary kind of thing. Mm -hmm. But it feels out of place as like, would this building really exist in America? And I don't think it would. You know, you wouldn't have like this drunk lawyer and this like African immigrant family and this young, this couple with a young child and what was it, the opera teacher with his young ingenue? His ingenue, yes. <laughs> you know, like all these people would not be living in the same building, right? Maybe. I don't know if I fully agree with you there. Because mm. I, think, I think there's different situations with rent. I think you've got to consider like, are these multiple income apartment units? Or is it a same, like the lawyer probably can afford the same size apartment as any of the other families. Maybe. Well, I guess my question is, do you actually think quarantine wanted to make a commentary on society, or was it just going with archetypes for making people distinct? Because I think it was the latter. Uh, I think Wreck did. 
And I think quarantine wanted to hew to that as closely as possible. So I think it did. It had moments of doing it. You're right, you're right. I think it did, but it wasn't... I don't think that was a primary... Yes. Like, purpose. I agree with that, and I also think that I can't judge how true this living situation struck me in the Spanish version, because, like, I don't fucking know, you know? And in the American version, yeah, it didn't strike me as, like, a realistic apartment building, that's fine because that wasn't the point. And I, I do think that because you know it wasn't going for a realistic apartment building, you have to assume that it is going for a cross-section of society and that therefore it is trying to say something about the way different people react to this situation, right? Well, if they were going for that, they didn't fully deliver. Yeah, I don't think it really came up with a a great thesis or anything like that. Well, let's talk because we should enter into our final point of discussion. If you were to remake Wreck slash Quarantine, what would you do differently? I've got the most scathingly brilliant idea. It sounds to me, David, that you would want the residents of the apartment building to sort of be stand-ins for members, groups in society, and our collective interactions? Some sort of sociological commentary? No, I hate social commentary. Oh, okay. So you want to make sure that that doesn't exist. No, I'm just kidding. I like social commentary, but, like, I think in this case, it doesn't necessarily... Not everything needs to be social commentary, or, like, it doesn't need to be so heavy-handed as, like oh, let's have this immigrant family living next to this, like, drunk lawyer, but not explore, like, either of these groups' lives, you know? I don't well, I, I don't think that is a way... That's not what I would want to do, you know? Like, if you were trying to talk about, like, oh, this apartment building is supposed to represent American society, that's not how I would necessarily go about it. Earlier you mentioned that retrospectively, especially in wreck you felt that the way the apartment dwellers treated the immigrant family was resonated with the violence especially against asian immigrants in the usa during the covid pandemic do you think based off of what we saw in society during the pandemic that there are certain dynamics you would want represented in a remake of wrecker quarantine like, specific true-to-life of what, what we experience? Yeah, but I thought these movies hit on it perfectly. Like, oh, okay, so it's all having, having, like, not lived through the pandemic, like, these movies were just like, you know how people are going to react in danger? They're going to blame the immigrants that live above them. Obviously, not everybody was, like, immediately going out and, like, blaming immigrant families for bringing COVID to their door. But, like, that is how some people reacted. That's how our president at the time reacted, right? What about some of the other, like, poor reactions that we saw? Like, anti-masking, anti-vaccine? Is there any incorporation of that mindset that you think would benefit a remake? Or I honestly think if you... Like, if there was no wreck and no quarantine and these movies came out in 2021 and 2022... Mm you would read a lot of it as a reaction to COVID that, like, 
obviously wasn't there in the original because there was no COVID. The reaction to like law enforcement, I think tension between law enforcement and health authorities and the way that the health authorities reacted and the way people reacted to the health authorities. I guess what I'm saying is I think the movie kind of nailed a post-COVID tone without actually having lived through COVID somehow. I don't know. I mean, is there anything that struck you as, like, this is a pre-COVID movie? I'm just, like, picking up on what you were just saying, I think the dynamics with health professionals, like medical experts could be explored more. Like, the CDC person enters the apartment building well into the movie. If he had entered earlier and said, this is a strain of rabies and this is what you need to do, and then there was any indication that his advice was not 100% correct, and you have some people then throwing out all of his advice, I think there's some ideas to explore there. It's not an idea I feel like I can fully flesh out in this moment but I think there's potential to explore there. Yeah, so I, I, I would just say that I don't necessarily think that it would need to be a post-COVID movie. We don't always need to react to what happened in the news last week. You know, mm-hmm. it doesn't need to be South Park or some bullshit like that. <laughs> I do think that if there was like a specifically post-COVID update to this idea, bringing in political and media reactions. I know that Angela Angela is a member of the media, right? Mm -hmm. But that's more of a device for the found footage Mm -hmm. to actually happen and, you know, sort of a character background for her. I don't think there was a lot of media commentary. I don't know if you thought differently. Maybe. I think in the social media world that we live in now all of the arguments over whether or not she had a right to be filming might land a little differently. Well, it's a little moot because everybody would have their phones out and be like on TikTok being like, so they won't let us leave the building. Like, what the fuck is going on, you know? And like, if you're thinking about COVID, what are people saying on social media? You know, like, what are people talking about that is going to impact the way these people behave in this building to other real people? You know, the way that these people that aren't experiencing this thing, who might as well, for lack of a better word, might not be real in the reality of this movie. Like, what are they saying that impacts the real way that these people behave, right? Mm -hmm. Social media is just people that aren't really in front of us and we don't really know what they're doing and how they're acting. How are they behaving? How are they telling us that they're behaving? And how does that impact the way that we behave? So there's that. And then, yes, of course, the political leadership. And I think maybe in Spain they had a great prime minister through this pandemic situation, but we did not. And we had someone who was telling us to inject uh, ivermectin and bleach into our veins and stuff like that. And maybe addressing the tension between, you know, the authorities like the police and then the CDC, and then also the political leadership just saying some crazy bullshit that is not helpful and doesn't make sense, like, if you're actually in that situation. But some people are listening to it, right? So those are the post-COVID things, but I don't even know if I would want it. Like, do we need, like, a post-COVID zombie movie, you know? I'm sure we've already gotten it, and I just don't care because I fucking hate horror movies. 
Well, putting social commentary aside, I think if the movie were being remade, what I want to see is basically what I was expecting from the American version, Quarantine, that ended up not happening. And I hesitate even to say this because I think there's a strain of horror movies that goes way too far into the graphic, grisly, just disgusting elements of horror. But I was expecting, like, quarantine to elevate the situations from Wreck a bit more. Maybe not so much in being graphic, but maybe a little bit more of, like, disturbing, building tension. Like, I think my main example of this would be the the little girl who is clearly a zombie, but both movies treated it as if that would be a twist, whereas they should have been doing things to build the tension around that. Once it's established, yeah, there are definitely zombies here. Mm -hmm. Have the little girl be tapping on the camera when no one's around, and maybe her eyes do the same thing that the first zombie's eyes did when they shined the flashlight on her, right? Like, something like that that disturbs us, but we know we, the audience, are the only ones who saw it. And the next thing we see is the mom picking that girl up, holding her on her hip again, and we are just waiting for that moment when she bites into the mother's neck, which did happen. But um, don't you think that breaks... Yeah, I think the build-up could have been done better. Specifically that, I feel like that breaks a little bit of the connection between us as the audience and Angela. That, like, we have to know everything that she knows. You know what I mean? But we can know more than her. And I think that's but fine. But why? Like, I don't, I don't know if that's true. I think that she should know everything that we know. Like, it's found footage... So we're essentially, you know, we're being no, put in there. No, you already disagree with what you're saying because we see the night vision of what's happening to Angela. She doesn't see that. So we're in that moment knowing things she doesn't know. And when the CDC guy comes in, Pablo and Scott is but, filming it. Angela doesn't see what's happening. So throughout the movie, we're getting well, I guess things that we see that she's not aware of. We're less Angela than Pablo. But then at the end, like, that rupture is, like, supposed to be we're scary. We're not Angela or Pablo. We're the camera. No, I know. But we're seeing <laughs> what Pablo sees. I disagree with you. I think... I think Especially that... in the Spanish version, because he never breaks character in the Spanish version and shows himself. Yeah. In the American version, it is different. Like, we are, we are different, but in the Spanish version... But to your point, I just completely disagree with you. I mean, we are going into it knowing we're watching a zombie movie. Angela went into it thinking that she's doing a... I thought we were watching While You're Asleep. <laughs> All right. Uh, okay, I have one final question for you, which isn't related to what you would do differently. But I did want to know, this is a unique type of movie, the found footage movie. Did you think this was... Basically, how do you think it compared to... The Blair Witch Project. I mean, we watched The Blair Witch Project, what, six months ago? Yeah, within the past year. I, uh, For the first time. Yeah, I mean, I hadn't seen it, and I had seen Wreck, like, more than ten years ago. Yeah, having watched them both now, I definitely... We finished the movie, and I was like, they were ripping... Not ripping off, but uh, riffing on mm -hmm. The Blair Witch Project and doing something similar. And The Blair Witch Project is great. You know, and I think mm -hmm. it it was unique when it was made, 
But like anything that's found footage horror now, you have to acknowledge. And so I looked at I looked it up, uh, and I I found the Wikipedia, and there was some quote that they said like we didn't look at like movies as our inspiration. We were looking at I don't know something else like they were they were looking at like news footage, and it's like this is the the directors of Rec, Drama, Balagero, and Paco Plaza saying this. Yeah, oh, yeah, I saw this quote too. Yeah, and. But to me, <laughs> to me, that's just like, oh, you're asking us about the Blair Witch Project? No, we didn't copy it. We didn't copy it at all, right? It, that's the impression it's that like, I got. It's like, guys, you are you know? literally in the industry of film. Don't tell me you're not right. thinking about oh, Exactly, exactly. And I mean, it's the it's very similar. Like, we get so many shots in the Blair Witch Project, so many scenes of, um, is it Hannah? That... You know, she's she's not a real reporter, so there's that difference. But she's trying to be a documentarian. Yeah, very similar to Amhel's sort of personality and, and the yeah, way she's coming off. Yeah, yeah, and trying to be, like, professional, but also not she can't... Yet. Yeah, she's not totally comfortable switching between her, like, real persona and her professional on-screen persona. And sometimes she's, like, cut. Sometimes she's, like that was bad, like, let's reshoot it, you know, mm-hmm. you get a lot of that, and you get a lot of that in, in Rec, too, especially in Rec, more so than Quarantine, yeah. I thought, um, that they really leaned Definitely into the, in they really leaned into, like, the found footage and let Angela show her flaws. Yeah. But in a way that the Blair Witch Project definitely did. What about the flaws? I mean, she admits her own flaws when in the Blair Witch Project, she has the camera and she's just like, I'm sorry, this is all my fault. You know, the snot's coming down that scene. Yeah, that's gross. But um, yeah, I mean, like, and, and we get the final shot of Rick as Avanhala, you know, and she's not holding the camera like that in the same way. But it is sort of that final, this is your protagonist shot, you're saying? Yeah, it's like, this is... We know this is the last time we're gonna see you on camera, yeah. right? Um, and we've we've lived through this together. I I did a lot of like eye rolling when I saw that quote. Mm-hmm. All you're saying is that you didn't copy the Blair Witch Project, but I just want you to admit that you saw the Blair Witch Project. Yeah, right. Like yeah. When right, did the Blair like Witch they Project must have come seen out? it. What year did it come out? 1999. Yeah, that was enough of a gap. There, that's almost 10 years. They can be like, yeah, we saw it, but, you know, times have changed and this is a zombie movie. For my point of comparison, I'm only thinking about Rec. I'm putting quarantine to the side. Fair. I like Rec better. And I do think Rec is better than The Blair Witch Project, but I will tell you why. The Blair Witch Project is scary because you don't know what's going on, but then they never tell you what's really going on. And I want closure with the well, story. Well, they do, but it's incomprehensible. No, don't g- yeah... It's all just, it's not a thorough enough explanation for me. And that's the thing about Wreck that I was saying when they're looking at all the stuff about the possession and everything. In moments, they give you the story and you know what's going on. And I just thought Wreck was really good at that. And for being just a zombie movie, which to your point earlier, there's certainly a saturation of that genre. I totally get why Wreck is a well-regarded movie. So overall... Wreck, Quarantine, both good movies. We are in agreement. Wreck being being better. I don't think horror movies will ever be my first top suggestion for future two-for-ones, but, I mean, I enjoyed the ride. So, thanks for listening. This has been Claire. And David. Pablo, grabalo todo. Por tu
puta madre.